We're back with the Hugh, a podcast from three brown startup enthusiasts that pull back the curtain on business, culture, and side pieces. <laughs> Not that type. We're talking emerging media, e-games, cannabis, blockchain, without the bullshit, and most importantly, over whiskey. America calls Clyde Black, Athul Brown, and Anthony somewhere in the confusing middle. <laughs> With three brothers, various shades of brown, bringing you the latest in tech, business, and startups, mixed with a ton of sarcasm. Cue the music. Go ahead, Anthony. I'm not doing a mixtape this time. So. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Yep, fellas. So today, the whiskey of the day that we're sipping on is going to be one of Anthony's choices. Um, go ahead, give us a little detail oh, on the whiskey of the day. Well, it's Henry. Well, it's a bourbon, Henry McKenna, single barrel, single barrel. So this is a um, you know you bourbon follow. is a whiskey, right? Well, yeah, it's a form. <laughs> All right, whatever, you know, dude. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> what the? <laughs> well, so this is a part of my. Uh, I, I had a whiskey bourbon tasting. But my boy, you know, we talked about this on the last podcast, and he he he's he's the drinker, the, the aficionado out of the out of you know my my crew over here. But uh, he has them. Um, he he made me do a, a blind taste test of like which one tastes the best. But this Henry McKenna kind of stood out for me. Oh, nice! Um, and okay. and and it's a it, it, for me. I told you guys, and we had previous episodes. I like the punch more, and I know a fool. He's like the. He likes a smooth drink. Tastes like water nonsense. So, <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. So, so, now this one, this one's actually the smooth taste, but it has a good, uh, uh, I think it's about a hundred proof. So it's a good alcohol uh, content ratio. You don't need to, you know, once you start getting to that, what that sixty point, that sixty yeah. proof thing, like you start, you start asking. You might as well start drinking rubbing alcohol. So, yeah. so, but this was a good one. Yeah, this is. it's like Jello shots material, man. We're not doing that. <laughs> What are you, 19? <laughs> this is one of the, another solid bourbon, uh, you know, so, uh, you know, I don't know what you guys liked about it, but, you know, we, I, I like the smooth. It, it has another kick in your throat kind of thing. Like when you after you taste it, it has a little bite at the end of it. Not as not as punchy, but this one has a nice little uh, taste to it. So. All right. We'll give it. Yeah. We'll give you our recap after you sip on it the whole episode and we'll get back to you at the end of the night. End of the episode. All right. All right. Boom. Day. No one knows when we're actually recording. I know, right? right? So most people, we might be drinking and recording at 10 o'clock in the morning. 6 a.m. we're busy. drinking bourbon whiskey. We're not the best role models all the time. <laughs> oh, that's bad. All right. what, else is going on? what else is going on? Oh, man. You know, it's life's happening fast. It's about to be July 4th. Oh, we, man. Uh, you know, getting ready for that. Uh, Doing nothing still, so yeah, <laughs> it's gonna one. be like the most suppressed Independence Day of all time, <laughs> right? Exactly, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. but I, I was, I will say, like you know, we know. I think it's going to be up in the New York area. It's going to be a nice weekend, uh, weather-wise. So it's going to be hot, but yeah, it's going to be clear. Wait, yeah. I hope people are wearing their masks because you know how it is. People start going out, get comfortable. I can't breathe in this thing, so. You know, or or sound like people start sounding like that videos of those people in Florida saying you can't mess up this perfect breathing system. Uh, <laughs> yes. What's that Florida governor saying now? Right. A month ago, he's like, no, nah, no mask. Now he's like, oh, shit, should have worn a mask, man. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Dumbass. People in New York, New Jersey, like it's going to spread, but no one wanted to listen. That big ups to Jersey, New York and Connecticut. We're like starting our own little like a little island is like 
like it's like a civil war that we're just gonna win this shit. They're like, hey, no one from you other shit shitty ass states come here. Cause like they're just like they're flying free with no mask, right? They're like just running through, spreading COVID left and right, man. You well, get no, you get the, some COVID. The, the best part about it is the fact that you get some COVID. You Oprah machine COVID. gun like type shit. <laughs> you get some COVID. The, the best part is that you remember when it really started to hit an outbreak in April when it really was like and state of Florida was just like, no, anybody from the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut yep. area, you gotta quarantine yourself. Now we're like, hey, quarantine yourself. We actually are attacking it up here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, uh, but all right, before we we, get, we lose our listeners in Florida and tech, go Florida too far. You know, one of, one of the things we should <laughs> say about uh, yeah, exactly. Florida, you're great. I love Miami. Elisa, you, we just had her. We're gonna have her on as a guest today, and she worked in uh, in uh, Florida for a while. We were reminiscing about those beautiful times. Miami's dope. <laughs> I love it. Miami, you know, South dope. Beach is South Beach. You yeah. can't. You never can go wrong with South Beach. Yeah. But- yep. Yep. We're gonna leave no. it right there. <laughs> oh, uh-oh. That, uh oh, that's great. That's great. So that prepares us for our today's guest and uh, Alisa Padilla. Padilla, 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 Padilla. 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 It's L is fine, like Gallegos. You don't hear the L. Yeah. Okay, the L. Come on, man. All right, let, me start, let me start over. See, all right. So, so yeah, that, that gets us started for our guest today. We have Alisa Padilla. Uh, and she's 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 absolutely great, and we're gonna spend some time with her today. She's the uh, sports maven. She's been working for some of the greatest brands that you've ever heard of. It's everything in sports entertainment, from the Miami Marlins to Brooklyn and building their Hello Brooklyn campaign, HBO, um, the NHL for the New York Islanders, Barclays Center, you name it. She's been there. She's like a sports aficionado right now for branding, entertainment, and partnerships, and. Uh, we're gonna hear a story. We're gonna spend some time with her, and she's our she's one of our guests for today. Well, she's our only guest for today. Uh, <laughs> spitting that hot fire! All right, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this uh, welcome to the Whiskey Hue. Usually, this is Clyde thing, but I'm jumping in for a second because we have our first guest, uh, Elisa Padilla. I'm gonna take it back. Lisa and I go back to my grad school days. And if you find my LinkedIn, you can find out how long ago that was. So, <laughs> so, but Elisa, even even during grad school, she was the the mind of like creative marketing and strategy that caught me. And I think at that time you were at the were you at the Giants? Uh, or was it? Or was it? Am I wrong on that one? Who knows? I can't. Yeah, it's long time ago. I've been through multiple transitions on my end, <laughs> but. Elisa has remained consistent in her her approach and how she does business and in the sports in the world of sports. Um, before I ramble on too much, Elisa, just to say hi to everybody and all of our listeners. Yes, hello everyone. Thank you so much for having me here today with you guys. I'm excited to join the conversation. Yes, yes, we're excited to have you here at the Whiskey Hue. Um, and you know, before we get kicked off and get into our witty banter like we normally do. What we'd like to do, Elisa, is um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Like, how did you get here? Oh, boy. That's a, that's a long story. <laughs> how long is this podcast? <laughs> um, so just high level, I'll set up the story for you because I think it's important before – before you know you understand um, where I am today, I think it's really important to know that I am of Puerto Rican descent, so I'm Latina. I'm one of six children, the youngest girl, and grew up in a very traditional Latina household. So girls weren't allowed to play sports. 
So I fell in love with the game of basketball because my older brother was a high school basketball star. And a lot of our family outings were to go watch him play basketball. So as I was going through navigating, you know, I went through high school, went to college. Um, I originally wanted to start off having a career in television. And my between my junior and my senior year, I had to do um, an internship. And I did an internship at Madison Square Garden with the network. Oh, and wow. I was in the programming department. And I sat next to the sales and the marketing people and sports marketing was just starting. And I was like, okay, I'm more interested in what those guys are doing than what I'm doing. So I went back to school, took my first marketing class, fell in love with marketing, loved the psychological part of marketing, how to influence consumer behavior, how to tell stories, how to change people's minds. So after graduation, I did an internship um, with at Madison Square Garden within the what is now defunct the Virginia Slims Championships and really stayed in touch with all the people that I met, specifically the HR people that I had met when I was doing my internship at the network. Okay. And after that internship, an opportunity came up with the New York Knicks. And my first job out of college was with the New York Knicks as a marketing assistant and I worked for a woman who was incredible um, and I wanted to model my career after her and um, she had her MBA. So I started researching and thinking, okay, you know what? I need to go back to get my MBA if I'm ever going to be a director of marketing for an MBA team. Um, was at the New York Knicks, um, had a great time there. I was there during the glory years and I know that we'll touch a little bit more in depth about basketball and stuff on the court a little bit later, but I was there through many, many amazing games. Mm -hmm. I went to game seven in Houston when John Starks shot two for 18. And <laughs> so um, I was there. Um, so you didn't even have to name what the game that was. That was a lot of games, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, so went from working on the team side. Then I, I had the opportunity to work on the NBA side where I worked there for five years, had a great run. And at while I was going to school part-time, I was working full-time at the NBA, and um, once I graduated, I then, you know, as I was going through my NBA, I wanted to really be a diversified marketer. I wanted to be in a room and be able to talk about technology and be able to talk about e-commerce and media. So I left the NBA, took a job at a media company to really understand media and, you know, the influence of and the power of television and at that time, Nickelodeon, which was the network that I joined, Nickelodeon was the number one um, kids network. So I really learned about, um, you know, television and media. And then from there, I went on to HBO, which is yeah. when teaching um, okay. at NYU, um, spent some time, a few years at HBO working on the biz on the boxing business. So really learned about multicultural marketing, you know, was exposed to so many boxers, saw Las Vegas once too many times, but you know, just had a great run. And then at that time, mobile 
started to bubble up and the phone started to become the second screen. And I had the opportunity to go work at AT AT&T. So went to AT&T, really learned about diversity marketing, uh, you know, understood retention, you know, churn and really just the retail side um, along with the technology side. And one of the things that I'm most proud of during my tenure there was that I was the marketing person responsible for opening up the very first AT&T company-owned store in um, on Canal Street in Chinatown in New York City. Wow. So every time I go by that store, I'm like, oh, my God, that's, that was my first little baby. Um, and then I got, a, I got a call from a recruiter um, that the Nets were looking to hire a director of marketing for the arena that they were going to open up. And I went in for the interview and the, the hiring manager at the time, um, the, the director of marketing just resigned on Monday. So we're looking to fill two spots. So I left the interview and I called the recruiter. I said two things. One, I want to work for that guy. And number two, there's a director of marketing position open on the net side. That's really the job that I want. So I joined the nets in November of 2010. Wow. Was there for seven years, led the brand transformation from New Jersey to Brooklyn, helped open up Barclay center, um, you know, moved the Islanders from Nassau to Brooklyn Hub opened NYCB Live, which actually just closed last week, and helped launch the Long Island Nets. So, nice. yeah, I had an amazing run there. I started off as a director in 2010 and um, was promoted to chief marketing officer five years later. So, huge accomplishment. Was there until 2017 when I got a call from Apple and. Um, had some really good conversations with Apple and when Apple calls, you know, you don't say no. So I moved (laughs) all the way to Cupertino to Silicon Valley and was there for a month. And then Hurricane Maria hit Puerto Rico on September 19 of 2017 and my life completely turned upside down. Um, so had to make a decision between, you know, had a tough decision in December, returned back to New York to take care of my family and mm-hmm. took a job at Howard Hughes. Um, and they're the company that is revitalizing the South Street Seaport in the financial district mm-hmm. in New York City and was there for a few months. And a colleague from AT&T came to visit me and he said, would you ever consider relocating? And I said, well, I said, I will only go, I will only relocate if it gets me closer to Puerto Rico. Um, So he made an introduction to the president of baseball operations on business operations, excuse me, president of business operations for the Miami Marlins. I went to Miami, had great meetings, moved to Miami, was there for close to two years and just returned back to New York this past January. Um, had the pleasure of rejoining my former CEO from Brooklyn at Rock Nation. And I have been on furlough for the last three months. Wow. So that's very, I don't even know where to start. <laughs> I want to be you when I grow up. You're just it's an amazing background. <laughs> Some of my favorite brands. <laughs> so you've seen it all: the, the prize fights, playoff championships, uh, baseball World Series. You know, you name it all. 
what's been the most exciting part outside of the sports, but connecting with the marketing brand cultural relevance of your roles that connected sports and these things together? I think the most important, I, you know, there are so many key moments along the way, right? But I think that being able to lead the brand transformation of a brand and then to, to see how that brand is infused in culture and lifestyle and you, you didn't even have to be a fan of the Nets. So when we moved the Nets from New Jersey to Brooklyn, we had research, we had data on Brooklyn Knights. We knew that they were starving to have a team of their own since the Dodgers had left 43 years prior. Um, and we knew that the logo was very, very cool, very contemporary. And the merchandise that was being produced was just top notch. So for us, when we launched to see people wearing Nets gear, yeah, we had four players. Think about this. There were four players on the roster when we launched the new brand, right? So to see people wearing gear and there was like no affinity to who was going to, I mean, they hadn't even played a game in Brooklyn. Um, that was very, very exciting. And then fast forward to doing it in baseball because I led the, the rebrand of the Marlins, the Miami Marlins. And I'll just make it, just make it crystal clear that when I arrived at the Miami Marlins, the logo and the uniforms were already done. Mm-hmm. Responsible for the strategic launch and to see people in Miami wearing Marlins gear because it was cool and yeah. it was fashionable. I think that interception is just one that will always, you know, have a, a place in my heart. Amazing. Part of the whiskey hue is all around the um, and you know, that, I think that connects specifically with, you know, the culture that we try to, you know, amplify on this podcast and, you know, especially thinking about the black and brown perspective of how you integrated with Brooklyn, you integrated mm-hmm. with Miami. So you're reaching exactly who our audiences are, uh, focused on. So that, that's, that's amazing to hear and thinking about your, your trajectory. Um, um, you know, I won't hog all the time, but Phil, go ahead. I know you have something you want to get in there with. Uh, I'll, <laughs> I'll wait to get into the heavy investing stuff because I do want to ask you something. I think you have great insight there. Uh, you work with some of the my favorite brands, all of ours. They're some of the best brands in the world. So we, it's easy to talk about Apple, Rock Nation, all these. I want to go to Howard Hughes. Eccentric, oh. bold, visionary man, right what from his day. Just, you're just throwing stuff in there, huh? You're going Howard Hughes on us. You know, so how has that bled into? So South Street Seaport, I used to live in Wall Street for a good chunk of time, eight, ten years ago, before everything was going up. It was before with the old South Street, then it went down, and it's beautiful again. And it's just, it's a fun, cool, hip place to hang out uh, outside of these times, right? And you, wonderful job there. So, and it's. Just revitalize. How about just in general, like the Howard Hughes, that bold visionary, a very eccentric personality. How is that drilled into what they do and how they select projects? Because he passed away before they set this up, right? The Howard Hughes. Yeah, correct. Yes, yeah. 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 Tell me about that. It's very interesting. So learning about him and, you know, his path and, you know, his, his career What's so interesting is that his 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 trait 
are infused within that company because for them, it's all about innovation. It's forward thinking. It's about multi-use um, properties, right? So when you look at the projects that they have, whether it's the properties in Las Vegas or whether what, what they're doing in Texas and then in, in New York, I mean, they, they took this place and his leadership had a vision in regards to making this an entertainment destination. Yeah. I mean, they have really, really revitalized um, the South Street Seaport. It's actually not called that anymore. It's called Seaport District NYC. Yeah. And they cater to, you know, the hipsters and it's a cool place to be. And it's actually very interesting because the vibe down there reminds me a lot of the vibe of Miami. Mm. Um, you know, in Miami, it's all about being yeah. seen and, you know, being yeah. cool. And, and, and when I made the decision, when we made the decision to come back to New York, I, I used to live in the suburbs before I, uh, suburb of, suburbs of New Jersey before we moved to Miami we actually came back and because of my working at Howard Hughes and helping, you know, them shape the, the, the marketing messaging for Pier 17 and the outdoor venue, um, I actually moved to the financial district and now I live three, three blocks from there, right around the corner from Wall Street. And it's just, it's just a really cool place. So his vision it's infused within that company and you feel it with the way that they approach every single project, the way that they execute every single project. And it's, uh, it's just, it's great to see his legacy is definitely living on. Love it. Love it. Jump in. So what, you know, Elisa, so one of the things that, you know, that that's intriguing, especially in our current world right now with, you know, like I mentioned, like the social unrest and being in your position, regardless of company, how do you make sure culturally you, you represent uh, black and brown people in your messaging and your creativity when it comes out? Because I understand, like, you know, I've, 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 my career has mostly been on the sales side, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I always been about revenue generation. So sometimes some people on a revenue generation side do not understand cultural influences, how that really makes and breaks your marketing campaigns and how it will connect to revenue. How do you make sure you always bring your cultural relevance to all your marketing campaigns as well as make sure it hits the bottom line? Yeah. So I think that from when I look at, you know, a person in my position, first of all, I think it's important to have a person that looks like me in the boardroom and, you know, I have been in sports and entertainment for, I won't, I won't date myself, but for many, many, many years. And you know what? We have a long way to go. We have a really long way to go. And, you know, what I can say is that's the first thing is making sure that the people that are in those boardrooms are pulling in black, brown, Latinos, Asian into the mix, because that's really important. And then second of all, it starts with making sure that whatever brand you're working on is reflective of the community that you serve. So when I think about Brooklyn and I think about, you know, the inspiration of the campaign for Hello Brooklyn, it was inspired by a Jay-Z song um, that he had re remixed. It was a remix with Lil Wayne. And the inspiration didn't come from the words of the song. The inspiration 
came from a video that the creative director had sent me and he wanted just he just wanted me to look at the simplicity of the graphics in the video um and i watched it like five times and i was like wait a minute i was like like some of the words here you know make a lot of sense and hello brooklyn was born because of you know brooklyn itself is a brand and when you meet someone right what do you say hello and we wanted to make sure based on the research that we had done um that we were coming into the borough in a very humble approach that we were that the voice that the brand voice was coming from within the borough um and not speaking at the borough because we knew that brooklyn knights didn't like that so that we were very sensitive, so making sure that we even spoke in a very cultural, relevant manner, right? And then when we started putting, you know, um, after the season started and we started doing content capture, every single creative person that I have ever worked with, whenever they give me a piece of creative, I make sure to ask where the women, where the black people, where the brown people, you know, where the kids. It's just, it's not all one you know demographic so i think that that's really important and i think that if you don't have a person in the room asking that question you're gonna misfire and fast forward to um my time in miami where you know the audience is 73 percent latino i would still get pieces of creative where it was all white guys okay uh okay like this like you know and and it wasn't like i wasn't trying to be a jerk about it but it's it was constant reinforcement and constant it's an education process so you know i think that from my perspective i am hyper hypersensitive to that i'm hypersensitive to storytelling and being reflective of the united states of america right i mean it's just like of the community that we serve and we have to represent all because at the end of the day i know what it's like to be in an environment where i don't see or hear people that look like me Man, I'm raising my hand because I think okay, I'm going to say something about the branding you did with the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, it's it's beautiful. So I'm in Jersey now. I love Jersey. I love New York City when I lived there. I, I moved here for that from Chicago. I'm I'm Chicago sports all day. But what you did with that Brooklyn logo is amazing. I never wanted to buy a New Jersey Nets T-shirt or jersey for. But when you with the Brooklyn, because it's so cool. Whoa! No, no, out. I just didn't. You know, cause I'm always gonna. I'm not. You know, I, I stick true to my roots, like my team. Instead of, you know, like, Anthony was, just goes whoever's winning. But I, I was. I'm from, I'm from New Jersey, so I've been a Nets fan. I've been a Nets fan. I get it. Martin Petrovich and I get it. I get it. No, and I'm not knocking it. Um, you know, a good friend of mine bought John Stark's old house, right? So like, but I'm saying, but when you did with the Brooklyn Nets, it's just cool logo my kids are proud they they love wearing it too so we love getting it for them so great great job there oh thank you yeah well, so so just to add on i'm sorry i just want to add ask about the mark the, the florida marlin side of it right because baseball is dying traditional. It, it, dying. It's, not, it's it feels like it but <laughs> but when it comes down to making sure you connect right in baseball because you know, I've I've lost my love for baseball because it just I just don't feel the the ability ability to adapt, right? And I feel 
that baseball has always seems seemingly to struggle with that since the end of the nine the nineties, uh, the right? They yeah. they don't want to adapt. They don't want to always change the demographic of America. How did you know? You mentioned about that. You know, like some marketing materials. Is do you see that not just in you know from people you talk to within the side of Major League Baseball? Do you see that people haven't always adapted to it, cultural changes within you know say Major League Baseball? Well, it, that's it's re- it's really interesting because I've worked so I've worked for the NBA. I've worked for Major League Baseball at the club level, and I've also had interaction and workings with the NHL. I haven't worked with the NFL. And when I think about the three leagues that I've worked with, the NBA is definitely the most progressive. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to Major League Baseball, Major League Baseball caters to the traditionalist. They cater to the person who cares just cares about the stats who loves the game in the most traditional form. And when I think about my time in Miami, it's very, very interesting because Miami is 73% Latino. And after I got there, we started to do... So in Miami, people speak Spanglish, right? They speak half English, half Spanish. Um, You know, it's just... It's the way that they communicate. So we started doing in-game, we started doing the video boards and the LEDs. If some, whenever they would hit a home run, we would do it in English and Spanish. We, so we started infusing the Spanglish um, dialogue and the letters that we would receive. The hate mail that our guests would receive because people could not believe that we would play Spanish music, that, you know, why would we put Spanish words on the LED boards? This is America. Um, this is America's pastime. Everything should be in English. And I would get so angry and take it so personally because that showed me that our fans hadn't evolved, number one. And number two, I'm sorry, you live in Miami, 73% Hispanic? Why would you question that there's going to be Spanish in anything? So, and, you know, it's, it's very, very interesting because, you know, I think baseball has a lot of work to do. And I actually just read an article that was in ESPN yesterday that talked about the hiring practices in baseball and how the major, how it's become like an old boy's, white club, Ivy League, you know, these guys are, they go to Ivy League schools, they hire, you know, um, people that look like them. And, you know, when you think about what we're facing, you know, today, when you think about the social um, unrest and, you know, it's not a new topic. It's this, we've been, you know, black, brown, Latinos have been having issues for 100, 400 plus years. And how is it that we're still, we haven't learned, we haven't evolved. So that's a long winded way to say that I think that major league baseball has a lot of work to do. And unless you have people that are in the room that look like any of us on this podcast, how is change going to happen? Absolutely. Absolutely. So so do you have something you want to do? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I'll pick up on something you mentioned earlier. You talked about you, you know, you got the inspiration from one of the Jay-Z songs. So um, carrying on the conversation that we're having is one of Jay-Z lines that kind of 
sticks with me is Scott Boris, you're over, baby. You know, Robert, Robert Cano, you're coming with me. That, that, that line was very telling around the equity and ownership of black and brown people coming into different spaces that were traditionally held by uh, white males, sports agents, uh, entertainment agents, all these different things. So you think about uh, companies like Clutch, Rock Nation, um, they're, they're making waves in the, in the sports and entertainment industry unlike no other because you have people who look like you representing players that you know, look like the communities around them. It's making a big, big impact. How do you see that like changing the face of the conversation where you're having representation not only on the court but in the corporate offices working with people such as yourself who are developing these brand partnership deals and contracts and uh, marketing campaigns who are now can tell those full stories and you're having you know common conversations where you have the interests of all parties involved that's positive. I think, look, I think we're going to be so much better off. You know why? Because the partnerships are going to be more authentic. The partnerships are going to be in line with who the athlete is. So you know what? I, I was on a panel discussion yesterday with someone from Clutch. He's a former NFL player who who's now turned agent. And he he is now sitting in the room with his clients. And not only does he know his clients needs and wants, but he's also identifying with his client from a personal and, you know, um, a cultural perspective. So he's going to be much more educated in terms of being able to pick and select the brands that he aligns his clients with, because at the end of the day, change is going to come when athletes aren't being told what to do. You need to do this because this is a contra contractual obligation. The athletes now have power and they're saying, no, wait, I'm not going to do that because you know what? That's not aligned with, with, you know, what, who I am with what I want to do. So I think that that's where we're going to see change. And I think that, you know, this isn't, you know, I've been reading a lot of stuff and, you know, people are, you know, it's like this, you know, how is this going to change? How is this going to change us? Is this really going to be change? I think that the, the time is now for change, but change is only going to come as a result of action. So you have all these companies, all these brands donating all this money, you know, that money needs to be put into the right buckets because the systematic injustice and the systematic inequalities all goes back to funding. Yep. Yeah. Right. I mean, you think about the the video that went out a few weeks ago, where you know it was like systematic racism, and they taught us about the little black boy and the little white boy who grew up in the same neighborhood, and it's just like it was. They literally were raised like a block apart, I think it was, and the difference in money that was going into those neighborhoods, like that's where the that's where the change really comes. So. I think that, you know, for the rock nations of the world, the clutches and all the other agencies that are coming up, you know, even even um, the division of Wasserman that just opened up that's dedicated just to women athletes, the collection, the collection, but, you know, these agencies are are making a difference because they're really going to be more authentic in the partnerships and um, the endorsements that we see moving forward. At the end of the day, you make good business, right? You see 
better return on your investment by having people who are in the room that look like that. So I just wanted to add that. I want to piggyback off of that. Let me, Elisa, and I think this is you, you, you and Clyde, you're at the connection there. I want to tie another dot to that. So these are billion dollar corporations, each of these teams, right? And sometimes multiples of it. So if I'm looking at it from an investor perspective, they are not as they're large, but they want to be nimble and quick to grab on to cutting edge opportunities, right? So they partner with venture backed companies or PE backed companies, depending on the mat, the scale of the companies, where are the opportunities? So we can kind of float that to our community. Where do you see that? So one we know is apps, right? You can develop those and work with teams. What else are you seeing? So we can float that to our audience so they can see how they could partner with some of these major brands. Yeah. I mean, I think technology is definitely on the forefront of it, you know, but I also think from a content development perspective, I mean, look at what Colin and Ava are doing with Netflix. You know, they're doing a six part series that it's all about um, it's all about football, I believe. And it's really it's telling the story through a brown lens and a black lens. And I think that that's really important, you know, and I go back to when I think about content development and I think about, you know, the stories that are being told, um, you know, how many how many TV shows are, you know, um, pilots are put forth or ideas are put forth that are killed or, you know, or, you know, dismissed, excuse me, because, you know what, they're either too black or, you know, they're too Latino. You know, it's just like, no, that's that's the world that we live in. So um, and I also think that just from, you know, from a startup perspective, there's a lot of athletes out there that are really interested in health and wellness. Um, they're interested in education. So where are those pockets, you know, franchise owners who have gyms? I'm, you know, making this yeah. up that, you know, is there an opportunity to align yourself with an athlete who's interested in post, you know, his playing or her playing days to, um, to you know, to be a franchise owner. So those those would be the things that I would think about. And for audience, for audience, who would be the best people to chat with on the team side for them to even have visibility in that regard? I think that it would it would be there. The majority of the teams have a player um, relations group or player relations person who works with um, the operation side of the business when it comes to the players. So that would be it's always best to start off with the PR person. That person will direct you to the player program person. Awesome. Everyone listen up to that, right? Yeah, I know there are a lot of people that are listening to this that have ideas that could help bring value to the ecosystem of sports teams. That's a nice play for you there. Good. Thank you so much for that. Absolutely. And then I'll end on this note because, you know, we thank you for your time. And, you know, one one last question I'll ask you, what would you tell your younger self? uh, (laughs) what What would you tell your younger self that, you know, about the road that you've been down? I would tell her to be a little bit more patient. You know, I think, you know, um, there were times when I look back and I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I should have stayed there a little bit longer. Um, You know what, if I would have, you know, done, if I would have just waited, this would have happened. So being patient, I think, you know, that's one of that's there's a huge opportunity for um, my younger self there. That's awesome. One one big thing is though that you, someone like yourself, uh, who is so qualified, you 
it seems like you haven't had to interview you much. You've been approached with great job opportunities. <laughs> that's what happens when you're as good as you are. No, that's what happens. You, some of the greats, they get them coming, you know, people come to you with an offer that you knowing that you could bring value. I didn't catch who your, um, I, I'm sorry, did you guys have questions? Cause uh, I wanted to ask at least, I didn't catch who her favorite basketball player is of all time. Who she thinks is the greatest? Because I think you know, I I just I look at her. She looks like I'm just I'm whiskey diamonds. I see her. She looks a very smart person. (laughs) That's what we have to deal with on every time we do a podcast. Favorite and best are two different things. Yeah, like which one do you want me to? Do you want me to the best? Look, I have to. Yeah, I I, I, I asked you to be honest because I thought we I thought we had I thought we had a. The best basketball player in my eyes will always be Michael Jordan. No. There is no disrespect to LeBron James. There's no disrespect to Kobe Bryant. You know, let him rest in peace. And the one thing that I'll say to that is I saw I had the pleasure and extremely grateful to watch all all three of them play. And I think that the difference is, is that when Michael Jordan played, the game was different and the game evolved. So when Kobe came on the scene, the game had already changed. And then, you know, when LeBron came on the scene, the game had already changed. So, you know, I don't, you know, when the last dance, you know, was being showed during, you know, this during the break with COVID, um, it was, you know, all this thing on social media, the conversation was like, no, you know, LeBron is better, Kobe's, it's like, no, 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 guys, take a step back. You can appreciate the talent for all three of them. And the one thing that I'll say- Thank you. I like it. I know two people on this podcast are not going to be happy with what I'm about to say. I have to say how it is. <laughs> Michael Jordan- was poetry in motion. Oh. He was. He was. He your, was. your words are poetry. Your words are poetry in motion. I want to make a he was. Oh, good times. <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah. See, Alisa, you are brilliant. I didn't, see, I didn't feel like when I saw, when I would watch LeBron play, it was like, it, it, LeBron is an, I, he's great. He's a great basketball player. He's not, in my eyes, my humble opinion, He's not poetry in motion. And when I think of Kobe, Kobe was in between. Um, But Michael, I mean, I was there when Michael Jordan scored 55 points at Madison Square Garden. And that place was electric. And he was, he was unbelievable to watch. Yeah. And and no no knock. And and I'm the first guy to say no knock on LeBron. I just keep hearing it from these two. So I wanted to let, you know. And the great thing is, Clyde's a LeBron fan, right? His son, beautiful, smart kid. He's like, Daddy, Jordan's better. I'm like, oh, the kid is good. I'm going to adopt this guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, this guy knows. You can't brainwash him for, you know, the truth out of someone. It only works for so long. <laughs> me, I really appreciate that. Let me, turn the, let me turn the tables on you guys for a second. Okay. Why can't all three of them be great? Why exactly. does one have to be better than the other? Oh, it's just better. We agree. Now all three are great. Okay. Yes, they're generationally different, right? Yeah, and you can't, I mean, it, it, it is hard to compare 
the current generation against. I, be, I, I really would, and I would love to pick circumstances. Back. Yeah, oh, but, yeah no, go ahead. I, but I'm thinking like Jordan, it, like if like Jordan still scored that many points when he had when you could literally try to break his leg, which Clyde is a Pistons fan, and you know we we had a roadblock there. They used to just beat <laughs> us up, and I'm friends with Isaiah Thomas's kid. I don't know Isaiah, but so these and I've had these conversations with them. You know, and Isaiah's from Chicago. He's a superstar, and then Jordan came, and there was like the r- rivalry, and then they used to beat Jordan up, right? And you couldn't do that in today's league. If Steph Curry looks at some, you know, LeBron with his Beyonce looking eyes, <laughs> LeBron gets all gets gets all upset. He's like, "Hey, this guy's 100 pounds lighter than me. I better go shoot two free throws." It's a different game, right? It's a different yeah. game. <laughs> all of them are great, though. All of them are great. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Agreed. The the There's day, so many other names you could throw in there too. Yeah. At the end of the day, we all had the pleasure of watching them in person. I mean, uh, you know, through our lifetime, and it's been a great experience. You know, it's good. It's good banter. It's good, uh, uh, you know, give through a hard time, especially since he has the Michael Jordan jersey hanging in the back of his closet. <laughs> <laughs> I do that for these guys. <laughs> this has actually been great. We thank you so much for your time, um, for joining us on the Whiskey Hue. You know, this is a, a, a great show that, you know, we get listeners on here from all specs of life who are interested in the black and brown perspective around business tech and culture and you know the gems that you dropped were amazing i'm glad that you were able to spend some time with us and to share your journey your perspective and you know your insights on your career today and probably you know and then in the future is how is this going to continue to continue to take off and, and, and rock it we look forward to watching you uh over over time and you know we'll be we'll be watching well, thank you guys so much. And I think and congratulations on having, you know, this conversation, because I think it's really, really great. And it's really, really important. And when I look at all three of you, you know, it's like you guys are, you know, you're the future leaders. You're you're the ones that are going to, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to be like, you know what? We were part of the change. So kudos to you guys. And thank you again for having me. This has been great. Yeah. yeah. Appreciate yeah. it. Appreciate it. So, fellas, you know, we had a great episode. Thanks to uh, Elisa again. Uh, right now, what we want to do is we want to get into our, you know, one of the favorite parts of the podcast is shit you should know. Boom. So I'll kick it off because you guys aren't ready, of course. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not fired. Um, so what I want to do is I want to talk about uh, Twitch um, and, you know, just their great trajectory. They and specifically how they broken viewership records specifically in this first quarter around the COVID crisis. Um, they, they surpassed 3 billion total hours watched in a single quarter. So, you know, shit you should know is just all about wow. Twitch, the changing face of entertainment, how people are transitioning over to streaming of watching people game entertainment, you name it. Twitch is that new, new place that you want to, Consider, think about, look at, and um, how it's just how it's just taken off. So um, you definitely should keep an eye out for for Twitch. Love it, man. Love it, man. You want to go after you should I? Uh, no, you go. I got you next. All right, I'm going to drop a book. Uh, Hit refresh. CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadala. He's a. It's a. It's a good book, and this guy went through some things to get to the position he's in now, and shows a BBP just killing it and really growing the valuation of the company and setting it up for the future. Good ten years. On autopilot almost. Yeah, they're doing great things. I'm going to say one thing. So we had a wonderful female guest on today and we love celebrating women in power. Now, 
Sex in the City was a show that was based in New York City about 10, 12, 15 years ago, I guess, HBO show. Yeah. I have to give a shout out because like in South Asian community, they don't, they're not as, there's a progressive show called, it's somewhat loosely related to that same show, but with four South Asian women, single, living in Mumbai, uh, you know, the film capital and actually financial capital of India. And it's a dope show. They're pretty, very progressive. They're saying and doing things on screen that I've never seen done <laughs> in a, in a, you know, on typical cinema. So, and the music's dope too. So four more shots, Amazon prime dope show. It's called four more shots. Yep. Cause they're like, they're at a bar that the way the first night they meet four more shots. And then that's how uh, it's, 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 beautiful. it's so good. Can I, oh, I want to drop a third one. All right. It's so good. So oh, we are Quibi, check. Quibi, Anthony, uh, Clyde. Now we've been talking about Quibi, right? So I've, I've had a free membership ago. for like three months, uh, two it, months. It's, it's supposed to expire. My, my free, my 90 day free trial expires this week. I got it. In Mine month. expires in one month. Right. So let me watch some <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. I think free ratio ratio. Yes. That's the best it's one. It's good on. as hell. Yeah. Show is good, but here's my little gripe. So I'm, we're streaming it from my phone to my, to Apple TV. And every eight minutes, you got to like just go because there's no Netflix like feature where it automatically plays the next episode. Oh, you got to go so, in and out. So we're like every six, seven minutes, we're like doing them like, yeah, that was just, you know, it kind of kills a vibe, but it's such it's shot well, high quality content. Well, Qu- go ahead. I don't see him list. You know, I don't see what's going to happen long term because nobody's going to do that every five minutes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, well, th- but so the, they, I guess on the, my side of shit, you should know and connected to you. Cause I actually was going to bring up something close to this. Um, they added, they just added about a, a couple of days ago or maybe not a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago, the, you know, your casting ability. Yep. You weren't able to cast on Quibi when it first came out. So yep. you had to stay on your, your mobile device or whichever device you had it on. So you couldn't watch yep. it. And it's hard. I am I'm not 15 and not, you know, where I live <laughs> on my laptop, like on oh, my phone. Yeah. So I, I want to be able to cast everything on my, on a TV screen, but what's the tie into that, Google announced that they are raising their prices for YouTube to like sixty four ninety nine, right? YouTube TV. Oh, this, are you clear? YouTube TV. YouTube TV. Excuse me. Wow. And that's that's literally because they just brought launched, I guess, the Viacom networks on there, um, several Viacom networks, and Peacock launches in two weeks. Mm. Uh, NBC's property, and but Disney Plus is coming with the hammer with, with Hamilton this week, and then if you watch the BET Awards. Beyonce, Beyonce. Has, she has her mm. she has her new uh I think her a new show or movie coming out at the end of July. So Disney's doing a good job, like you know, making sure if you're gonna sign at the beginning, just get Hamilton, you better stay on because something else is coming out. Well, it's month. just passed. So ours expires like a week before Beyonce's thing comes out. We kept it to get in Clyde dropped this like three months ago. Yeah, I'm like, damn, I think I might get it. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned the Hamilton thing and the um the geez, I forgot what the other thing that I was going to bring up, but also, oh, so then Apple, Apple TV and Apple plus whatever, you know, they're launching, they purchased the rights to Tom Hanks movie that launches next week, uh, yeah. Greyhound. And that was supposed to, that was supposed to be in theaters, but they took the exclusive rights to put it on oh, okay. Apple, right. Apple TV plus, excuse me. And the interesting streaming battles that we talked about months ago, Whiskey you Thomas, it, you see it coming back again. So I think I feel like from a uh, streaming world, streaming wars world, there's going to be consistent battles of who's putting out the newer content to keep you from canceling your subscription. Mm. Um, and we talked about this. Remember, yeah. uh, through, I forgot which episode it was, but yep, yep. we're talking about the free trial. And I was like, it's just a marketing play, right? So when you think about it from a marketer, you want to get someone on a free trial, launch some content that they're interested in, but then, you know, close to when they're ready to expire, 
Just hit them with that new hot fire and be like, you know, they got us, man. They got us. Subscribe <laughs> because Beyonce's coming out. Now I can't unsubscribe because you know Hamilton's coming out. And then by at that point, you're you're a loyal member. You're you're happy to pay that you know four ninety nine yep. for Disney Plus, and it's just it's just great retention, loyalty, marketing. At, 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 yeah. at you know the Mouse House Disney, they they know what they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Mouse house. Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to drop In our bonus episode, I'm going to tie in the whole Viacom thing. I want to get your take on something. Oh, we'll talk so about that, that means everybody needs to be paying attention for the next Thursday. The Thursday, episode. it's coming out. Yep, the bonus episode. So, so fellas, this has been a great episode. Thank you for dropping gems. We want to thank our guest of the day today, Elisa, for dropping gems. And, um, you know, we're just going to talk about our whiskey of the day. And, um, you know, normally I have some, some specific notes, but, um, you know, the Henry McKenna was, it was just good. <laughs> yeah. Oh, cool. I like it. Yeah. See, I think, I think that's the beauty of, uh, 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 when you drink some, drink the stuff that's no longer, we're, we're now past the phase of our lives where we're drinking vodka and cranberry and all that nonsense. Yeah. We have to appreciate it. We're appreciating <laughs> the alcohol that we're drinking. <laughs> and, and, and sometimes you drink stuff and just like, I don't know how to describe this. It's just delicious. It just tastes yeah, great. Yeah. No, that thing doesn't. I got drinks for season. I, I would park this in like a late summer, fall type thing. Ooh. Yeah. yeah I'm like, because I like that little punch. I like the punch for those like Lagavulin, I don't know, whatever the proper pronunciation is. Lagavulin. That's a winter drink. <clears throat> I, I was corrected by the dude in the skirt. I told you. All right. It's Lagavulin or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, um, yeah, so yeah. it was. <laughs> shout out to them. It's a beautiful culture. Beautiful culture. So, one, uh, one thing I will say is that uh, this, this one opened up really well with ice in it. So, if you're going to yes. make sure you have some ice to hear McKenna, it, it opens it up a little bit more. And Anthony, I know you like it neat. So a lot of people, they like even the hardcore drinkers that if they're not putting ice in, they'll put a splash of water just to open it up. But it feels like it gets in the way unless I'm putting ice in because I want the ice for the coolness because if it's winter, you know, what I'm saying? So I like I, it. I, you know what? The, the whole thing. Jeez, we really are going to have to have a whole episode dedicated to us drinking this whiskey. But I, I, I feel like the it depends on your style of how you like to drink your drinks. Right. If you need a drink that's cooler. You always want to add that piece, that ice. But for yep. something to me, I feel like water always takes away something from yeah. the drink now to the point of uh, helping out your taste buds so they don't get that punch or burn right away. It might be good to kind of have that drop or something of that, like something similar so it can kind of be smooth yeah. and actually taste it. But yeah, I, I, I will just drink it neat, take the punch and drink the second sip and keep moving. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right. Fine, guy. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another episode of the Whiskey Hue. Thank you for listening. Make sure you rate us on all platforms where you can find us. Uh, visit the Follow Whiskey us. WhiskeyHue.com. Follow us on social uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Black Planet. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that kid. All right. All right. Peace.